Good morning, Awakening Church. It's great to see you all this morning. I see some new faces, and I see some faces I see every week. It's so good to see you guys. What an awesome holiday week, am I right? Who is ready for food? Ooh. That means we're on and we're plugging in. We're live. <laughs> There's no recording. Why don't we all stand as we worship the King of Kings together this morning? Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. Give thanks with a grateful He's given Jesus Christ His Son and love. Let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich because of
Amen, amen. Good morning. Welcome to Awakening Church. I am Michael Gilmore, the youth pastor here, where our mission is to awaken one another to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. Amen? It is a holiday week, which is uh, usually a good thing, but I also know maybe it's not a good thing. We can celebrate holidays, and that's good, and the family's coming together, and that's good, until it's not, right? Facing that one family member you know is going to show up. Maybe you're the one cooking the turkey and potatoes and green beans, and that's stressful. It can be very stressful, the holidays. But I want to encourage you and remind you of this verse in Philippians chapter 4. Verse 6 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then, I love that word, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Father God, thank you for your peace that transcends understanding, even though this week might be stressful for some and exciting for others. We give it all back to you. We choose not to worry, not to be anxious, but we submit ourselves through prayer back to you with thankfulness. We praise you for all that you have done, and we know that the things of this world that stress us out are only temporary, and one day, We'll get to spend eternity with you. And right now we get a taste of that peace by living out the commands of your son, Jesus Christ. So this morning, Lord, as we worship you, may you be honored and glorified. And may we be richly blessed by who you are, being in the presence of you and our brothers and sisters in Christ. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, amen. How I long to breathe the air of heaven Where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets To look upon the one who bled to save me And walk with him for all eternity
You guys can be seated. Well, good morning, church. It is great to be here with all of you today. As you guys may have seen, we also have a special guest group that is in here today, and that is our elementary kids. Elementary kids, are you guys excited to be here? There we go. We practiced that. Well, we are excited. The reason we have our elementary kids in here today is because today is a day that we are doing baptisms. And so we have been looking forward to this. We have a group of people who are declaring their love for the Lord and being baptized today. And so 
we wanted our elementary kids to be able to experience that. If you guys are new to the Awakening Church, maybe you're just visiting for the baptism today, somebody you know is getting baptized, or you're just checking us out for the first time, we want to give you guys an extra special welcome. Thank you for coming out today. We have Connect cards on your seat backs. If you get a chance to fill those out, love to get some information and be able to follow up with you. But we also, this evening, have a potluck at 5.30. And so this is going to be an all-church Thanksgiving potluck. I was talking to someone earlier, and they were like, I got up at like 3 a.m. to start smoking a turkey for this potluck. So there is going to be some good food there. Don't worry, if you didn't get up at 3 a.m. to smoke a turkey, it is totally okay. So come out today, bring two dishes for um, everybody just to kind of share. If you haven't made anything or don't want it, just go ahead and go out and grab something, bring it. Um, but we also don't want that to deter people as well. And so please just come out at 5.30 if you're new to the church. It's a great way to be able to get to know some people and build some community. So please come back. It's going to be here at 5.30 today, and there's going to be at least a really good smoked turkey and some mac and cheese, I know. So we will have that. We also have on Saturday, December 9th, from 1 to 4 p.m., we have a women's ministry holiday event and art painting class. So this is required to have sign-ups. So if you guys can sign up after church today or e by emailing us, there um, is a cost to it. It's $30. And so please come talk to Don, who's sitting over there. Don, if you can wave your hand. Don will give you guys some more information on that, but mark your calendars for that, ladies. December 9th, men, you guys got the men's camping trip, so no, you are not welcome at the art show, but we will continue to be able to do different events for our men's and women's ministry, so mark your calendars, December 9th. And then December 17th, we have an extra special day. Kids, this announcement is for you. Do you remember Sunday Fun Day? Was it fun? Okay, they're obviously not as enthusiastic as they were when they had it. But we have Sunday Fun Day coming up. It's going to be a Christmas party. If you have kids that are in the elementary age, that are kindergarten through fifth grade, please have them come on December 17th. It is going to be a ton of fun for us to be able to come together and have a Sunday Fun Day. There will be prizes, there will be games, and it's just going to be a day that the kids can celebrate Christmas. We also, on December 24th, we are going to have our Christmas family day service, and so that is going to be our Christmas Eve, and so please come out for that on the morning. Um, we are needing people for children's and uh, different areas for that, so if you can serve, please come out, mark on that Connect card, but we do have those happening, and then we have our children's worship that is going to be happening as well. Practices for that are going to be December 3rd, 10th, and 17th, they're just going to be 30 minutes right after service, and it's going to be for our kids just to kind of have a sing and worship time, and uh, Angela is going to be leading that for us. So please, December 3rd, um, come out with your kids on that day. And then lastly, we have our boxes of love. And so if you guys have been at our church, you guys know what these are. These are uh, boxes of love with canning hunger. It is a partnership that we have with a group in our community to be able to help feed people in our community. And so please grab one of these boxes. I think last year it was like $20 to $25 to fill a box. It may be more than that now with inflation. Who knows? But 
it has a list of things right here, and so you're going to grab an envelope, and in that envelope is a list of what goes in each of these boxes. Last year, we did a little over 100. We have 100 more boxes this year, so please grab those on your way out, and make sure to grab an envelope as well that gives you guys all of the instructions, and we will have those returned to the church on December 12th. So please mark your calendars for that. December 12th, bring the boxes of love back, and we will have those. And then we also have our tithes and offerings. Easiest way to do this is to text the word AWAKENING to 77977. Send you to an easy, secure link to set up a one-time or recurring giving. But we'll also have our offering baskets passed at the end of service. Anyway, I'm passing off to Pastor Kerry. All right, we finished up that last song about shouting to the Lord, and this is a great opportunity for us to declare our praise because Jesus Christ changes people's lives. Do you believe that? Has he changed your life? All right, then if that's true, I want you to shout out after me the word hallelujah. You ready? As loud as you can. You ready? One, two, three. Hallelujah! 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 Praise the Lord. Then you're good to go. We are ready to step into a moment of baptisms. There's three individuals that are going to be baptized today. And baptism is the outward sign of an inner commitment that someone has made to become a Jesus follower. And it's sort of like when you get married, right? You say your covenant vows to one another, and then you place a ring on your finger. Jesus taught his disciples that they needed to go. They needed to go out into the highways and the byways of life, and compel people to come into relationship with him. And he told his disciples that they needed to be baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so baptism is a sacrament. It doesn't save you, but it's a sacrament that's the outward sign of the inner belief that someone has come to place their faith in. And so it's my joy uh, today, along with uh, Chris Bowman, one of our elders, to be able to baptize three individuals who have made that decision, and they want to publicly declare that they are a follower of Jesus Christ. You ready to go? All right, here we go. So with that, I am going to invite up a dear brother, John Rangel. John, would you come? John has a... John's been on a journey, and uh, I'm going to... I have no idea if John's going to share or not. But John has um, been a part of our rooted group. In fact, the first two individuals here are part of our rooted group, and God's changing their life. And I know, John, that uh, you have made this decision to be baptized today because God has put this on your heart in your spiritual journey in these recent months. Do you have any words to share with us? Yes, I have been blessed so much by the Lord, and I'm being blessed today, this morning. <laughs> All right, that's great. You step in. There you go. All right. John Rangel, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes, I do. I believe with all my heart. <laughs> John Rangel, it's my joy. On behalf of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit. A memorable moment indeed. And you got Thank some you. family that came today, yeah. man. I'm just so Thank excited you. about that. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Laura's smile would be upon you today. My next person is someone I've had only a few weeks with. But I see God working in his life a lot. Noah, would you come? So in our rooted group, we had four young adults show up, which is great because I used to be a young adult pastor, and I miss those days. And it was a joy to have them journey with us through the 10 weeks of rooted. Uh, but this young man here, Noah, the man, is uh, on a journey of discovering God. And uh, it was week five, I think it was, right, that uh, we were walking through some of the spiritual warfare stuff, and I said, no of you ever crossed the line of faith. Would you like to make a commitment to follow Jesus? And he said, yes, I would. You got some words to share with us? Yes, sir. Uh, actually, I've been baptized before as a kid uh, 13 years ago, but that was something I did with my uh, mom and dad when they gave their life to Christ. And it was something you know, I wanted to do, but I didn't really fully know what I was doing or getting myself into. But now, after being rooted for the past 10 weeks, uh, I this is something I know I want to do and something that God has been wanted me to do, take a step closer to him, and I'm ready for it, and I just want to do it today. <laughs> do you believe Noah and Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes, I do. Noah, Lenan, on behalf of your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's my joy to baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. With that, I'm going to invite uh, one of our great servants of Jesus at this church, Chris Bowman, to come up, and he's going to uh, journey with us on the third baptism today because he's been on a journey with the man who's being baptized today. Thank you, Carrie, for giving me the opportunity to uh, be with Kevin Fox today. Um, some of you might not know Kevin because he's relatively new to the church. Um, he tried to ditch men's retreat, and I was talking to him the week that he thought men's retreat was and uh, telling him a little about, bit about what we were going to do. And he's like, I guess I'll come. And, and, and I knew from that moment like the Lord has something big for Kevin, not only that weekend, but, but for his life. Um, so we talked a little bit that week. And um, I prayed and fasted along with Donnie and, and Zach the days leading to men's retreat, knowing that 
Um, the Lord had work to do, not only in Ken, Kevin's life, but a, a bunch of other guys' life. Um, we did a, an easy hike for the, the guys that were there. Um, and there were some, there was a little stream and some pools. And, and I was like, man, I have, I have faith that Kevin's going to give his life to the Lord. You know, Friday night or Saturday morning when we go on that hike, like I'm going to baptize him right there in those pools. And unfortunately, you know, it took another day. Um, you know, so I, was, I was off by a day. Zach texted me when they're on their way home. Actually, it was only a couple hours later, huh? On the, on the way home that Kevin gave his life to the Lord, and I was so stoked. And, and I, I told Zach, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to baptize him. may not be, like, it's probably better here than in that cold, algae-filled stream. <laughs> um, but I know the Lord has a big calling on, on Kevin's life. Um, is there anything that you want to say, man, or do you want me to talk for you? Uh, yeah, the Lord has blessed my life and my family's life, and I have committed my life to follow him. We're so excited. Go ahead and jump on in, man. Saved your, saved your life as your Savior? I believe. Awesome. Well, in the name of um, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we baptize you. Well, in answer to that question right there, heaven, who goes there? You just saw a witness of three individuals whose names are written down in what's referred to as the Lamb's Book of Life because of their profession of faith and following the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you, if you are a witness of baptisms today, that uh, if you think that's a step of obedience that God's calling you to do, then on your Connect card that's in front of you, just mark, I'm interested in baptism. And we set the tank up last night, and I'm fine to just leave the tank set there every week if we have baptisms every week. What do you think? That the Lord Jesus Christ could be changing lives. And so uh, I want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whether you've recently made a commitment or you have been a follower long-term, but you've never had that opportunity of being baptized publicly as a profession of your faith, then uh, to do so and to take that step of obedience. Sometimes you need some of these defining moments in your life, especially, I believe, in an adversary. Satan doesn't want you to get victory and joy in your life. And sometimes these moments, these defining moments, you can just point back 
to Satan when he tries to chatter in your head that you're no good, you're not worthy, or you're not going to heaven. Satan say, right there. That was my confession publicly that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And so take that opportunity to do so, and who knows when our next baptism will be. We actually uh, had another individual who was baptized from our rooted group that was in a, uh, a pool in the backyard with somebody, and I think there's another one or maybe two people from that rooted group. Rooted was a great uh, journey this last uh, 10 weeks of people discovering Jesus and discovering that he needed uh, to be prominent in their life. With that, I'd like us to pray this morning as we turn to God's Word and we continue this series that we've been in, Heaven, Who Goes There? Will you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, we acknowledge here this morning that you are the Lord of heaven and earth. And in the hearts and the lives of the individuals that were just baptized, we see that there's evidence of that profession and that desire to follow after you. But Lord, as we look to your word today, we ask that you would impart your word to our hearts wherever we're at on our spiritual journey, even if we're just checking God out and first time at church and maybe forever. Lord, may you take your word, apply it to our life, and help us to understand truth. Jesus, you said that you were the way and the truth, and that no one comes to the Father except through you. And we pray, God, that that truth from your word would be illuminated in each of our hearts here this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So, this series that we've been in, I was surprised when I first framed it up uh, and, and had some people frame it up for me that I was working with and those kinds of things. It was interesting because I thought, well, I don't know, is this all that deep of a question or not? But here's the reality. 75% of people in America or more believe in heaven, in an afterlife. And the majority of those people, they believe that they're going to heaven. And I've been surprised that the question, heaven, who goes there, has been so engaging in some ways because you are involved in conversations as well as conversations of your own soul concerning the answer to this question. Especially if you get older. Why? Because life is brief. Even when you live a lot of decades, you start to think, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. We mentioned last week in Ecclesiastes 3, it says that God has put eternity in our hearts. And there's something within the human nature, because God has put it there, that desires to live forever. And every now and then you maybe catch articles where science and other people are trying to figure this out, how you can live longer, and life expectancy has grown over the years uh, with modern medicine and other things. But there's something that longs for us to continue to live. And if you've lost a loved one, especially recently, the grief that you carry is because you have lost them, at least on this side of heaven, right? And you're like sad because it shouldn't be that way. So this question, who goes there concerning heaven and the afterlife, is very prominent. And it's reflective not only in your life, but it's also reflective as you interact with your friends and your relatives, your neighbors, maybe loved ones that you've lost. Heaven, who goes there? The thing, as I mentioned, most people believe in heaven and that they're going there, and that's why. There's two assumptions that we've said, and just a little bit of review, especially if you're new here this morning, catch you up to speed, but uh, I also know that review helps ingrain truth in our minds. 
because we hear it and it sort of flies through. So as we repeat it today, this has been the journey we've been on for the last couple weeks. The two assumptions that most all of us have are these, that good people go to heaven and I'm a good person. Good people would go to heaven and I'm a good person. And I've been doing some research of how other people would interact with this question. And you know what? Those two assumptions are spot on. Well, good people go to heaven and and yeah, I'm a good person. And we said that there's some reasons to believe that good people go to heaven when that statement is made. And that is because it's just and fair. It would only make sense that a good God, right, with a good heaven would want good people there. And so it's just and fair in this life as you look to the next life. We also said that there is a reason to believe in that it supports the notion of a good God. God would want to be good, right? He wouldn't want to be mean and send people to some other place in the afterlife, right? And then we said that the idea of good people going to heaven is that you make the cut to get to heaven. All of us have a tendency to compare ourselves with other people. And when we compare ourselves to other people, to this person or that person or this person, we say to ourselves, wow, compared to them, I'm, I'm pretty good. So I, I think I'm going to make the cut. I think I'll get in. And so there we are, just sometimes blindly thinking those kinds of thoughts. We also said that uh, good people go to heaven kind of comment. It motivates people to be good. Would that make sense? And then we sort of realized that uh, maybe that question isn't as solid, the answer to that question isn't as solid as what we might think. And those reasons are, one, God, uh, if good people go to heaven, then what, what is really good? And good can be a moving target. God, the idea of what good is in one generation or uh, one area of the world might be different than another. So where, where is it that we have the standard for what is good? And that standard for what is good seems to be quite vague and different from one person to another and one generation to another. So he said, well, Pastor Kerry, then there's a reasonable answer to what the definition for good is because the definition for good is in the Bible, right? The Bible's going to tell us what good is. But then we saw that if you really want to look at the Bible, that uh, this whole idea of what the exact uh, hallmark is for being good is that the Bible is the standard for being good if that's true, and you really look at what the Bible would say as to what is good, then I'm sorry to tell you, but you don't make the cut. None of us make the cut. How good is good enough? Well, I don't know. I guess I have my own definition for how good is good enough, and the next person has their own definition for how good is good enough, but I don't know. How, how good is good enough to get into heaven? And here was a thought that we had that if God's good, supposedly, but he's not told us exactly how good is good enough, he sort of like doesn't just move the goalpost, but he's hiding the goalpost, then when we look at it, then we don't know that God is really good. He's, he's not good. That, 
that would be like the professor telling you that uh, your grade is going to be based upon an exam, but he doesn't tell you what kind of books to read or resource studies uh, to look after, and he's not even telling you when the exam is going to happen. That wouldn't be a good teacher. And if God hasn't clearly told us how good is good enough, then he's not necessarily a good God. So then we sort of poked that whole answer a little bit more. And we took out the scriptures and we began to look at what Jesus taught. And if we look at how Jesus taught concerning the afterlife, then it, it appears that maybe he was misled or misinformed or he was misinforming us because when you look at what Jesus says in the Bible concerning how good is good enough, he just blows the whole standard to a much higher level. And Jesus, when he raised the standard of good enough, he raised it so high that every single person fell short. Even the good people in Jesus' day, I'm like, they kept every law, every rule they kept. And, and he just sort of faced up with them and says, you're not good enough. And all the other people looking around going with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all these religious people and the priests, if they're not good enough, I, I have no hope whatsoever. And so it was bad news that we looked at. The bad news. The Jesus version of good makes all of us look bad. So how good is good enough? How good is good enough is a simple answer. Jesus. Jesus was sinless. He was tempted in all ways such as us, but he was sinless. He was without fault. Every one of us would have to be as Jesus in order to be good enough to get into God's heaven. The bad news, you don't make the cut, I don't make the cut. None of us are good enough. But the good news, the good news is that Jesus is good enough. And what scriptures teach, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, it says this, We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled. Come together in your relationship to God. For God made him who knew no sin. Who is that? Jesus. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness or the goodness of God. In who? In Christ. And so this whole decision that was... Uh, spoken of by witness today. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I believe. I've made a decision to follow Him. Even that decision in and of itself is not a good work that's good enough. But what happens in that moment is something transcendent. Through His Spirit, Jesus Christ comes and dwells within your very body. Your spirit and His Spirit join together Christ Jesus comes into your life. And when Jesus Christ comes into your life, then His goodness becomes your goodness. Any of you ever accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and then you really messed up afterwards? 
any of you really messed up afterwards becoming a Jesus follower and you thought, man, I messed up, I'm not good enough. God's, I'm in the doghouse, right? We think that because we still are caught up in this idea that you got to be good enough. You got to be good enough. You got to be good enough. Friends, you and I will fall. We will stumble. We will take steps backward when we know we need to be taking steps forward. It's not our goodness, but the goodness of Jesus Christ that needs to come and live within you. And we referred to the big theological term last week as imputed, imputed righteousness. And imputed righteousness means his righteousness is imputed, is infused into our life. All of us will pass from this life someday. Some of us sooner rather than later. Some of us may be alive if Jesus Christ returns, but most likely all of us will pass from this life. And the Bible says that it's appointed to man once to die, and after that is the judgment. When you die, and there's all kinds of near-death experiences, right? I saw a light, or I saw this, or I saw a family. You've got to all take that with a grain of salt and understand that there's no one other than Jesus himself who died and was brought back to life. Lazarus was, but he was someone who died later on. Jesus is the one who tells us what happens in the afterlife. And it says, you pass from this life, and it's appointed that there is a judgment. And that judgment has to do with what's referred to, ultimately, someday, as the great white throne judgment. And Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, why should I let you into my perfect and good heaven? Especially when none of us are good enough. Because the moment that none of us who are good enough get into heaven, or are allowed into heaven, then it's no longer what? good. There's imperfection because we've been sinners. But Jesus Christ is good enough and his imputed righteousness, goodness, comes into our life and when we stand there on that day as to why should I let you into my good and perfect heaven, do not try to list down everything you've done that's been good because it's still not good enough. And don't say, well, my parents were really good people. They used to go to church and everything. Well, I try really hard. I mean, there is only one answer that you need to carry with you on that final day. And that is Jesus. I am not good enough. But Jesus dwells within me and God looks at you if you're a follower of Jesus and he sees his son his imputed righteousness within you. And he says, welcome in, my good and faithful servant. So we unpacked that in this journey so far, and you just need to remember this, especially maybe when you're out dialoguing with people if a subject comes up. Good people don't go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And the question is, have you been forgiven of your sins by the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you on a cross? He took our sins upon him. He died on a cross for our sins. He was buried. He rose from the grave. He defeated Satan. And he made the provision for his righteousness to come to be a part of you.
But God does not allow people who are defiant and indifferent to Jesus to be a part of eternity on that side in heaven because why would you want to be? If you didn't want to follow Jesus and love Jesus in this life, that's what eternity is about. And so this idea that good people don't go to heaven needs to ring true. But forgiven people do go to heaven. You need to understand that you need to make that decision of repenting of your sins, turning, and allowing the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and His life to come within you. I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in a bunch of religion in my life. And maybe if you're on a journey of the faith, maybe checking out religion today, give up. Because religion's just about doing better. Just doing better. The Christian faith is the only religion or faith, if you will, that says all of us are not good enough. We have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not even one. And you come as you are, and you say no to religion, because religion is about do, 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 do. Earn your way, earn your way. But Jesus, it's not about do. Jesus is about done. What he has done for you, yeah, for you, on the cross, taking your sins, took the penalty, he died. But he was raised from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit and His life through His Spirit is alive today and can come and live within you. Jesus said it was to your advantage that I go away, He told His disciples, because if I do not go, then I cannot send my Holy Spirit to be with you. And that's exactly what He did when He ascended to the heavens before He comes back a second time. He sent His Holy Spirit to be able to possess you. It's sort of a scary term, isn't it? But I want to be possessed by the goodness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that is a decision that we make. Religion is about do, but Jesus says it's about what's done. Done for you. So that brings to where I just want to turn things briefly here today. And As I started to walk through this, I decided we can't be done today on it, so I'm going to extend it to next week. So you all have a good Thanksgiving, eat a lot, and come back to church next week. <clears throat> because this is too big of a subject and too vital not to finish it out in some ways. I felt God is asking me to finish it out. I want to talk about that day. That day when we pass from this life to the next, next week. But I need to pause here and have us talk about the subject of rules. Because even though religion is about do and Jesus is about done, the scriptures do have some rules, some commandments. God has some commandments. So what are the place of God's rules and commandments in your life? Did any of you have rules growing up in your home? Some of you are still in your home, you know, I still got rules. What were the rules that were in your home? Do you have some? Don't lie. That's a good rule. Don't you dare lie. You better respect your mama and your dada. Right? Disrespect. You're in trouble in this household, right? What are some of the rules? 
Well, those rules were there, or are there, and so we try to operate by those rules. But, <clears throat> and you have them in your own life uh, as parents, maybe. Did you decide in your life as parents, you know, we've got a good set of rules. These are really good rules. So why don't we have some kids that have to obey the rules? Is that how it goes? No, it doesn't go that way. The, the rules that were in your house, were they rules for the neighbor kids too? Sometimes you wish they would have been, or you wondered if the neighbor's parents had any rules in their house, right? But the rules were not there for the sake of building a relationship. The rules were there because you already had a relationship. And so if we were to start anywhere with where some of the rules at in the book, the Bible, you would say, well, what about the Ten Commandments? And if you ask somebody, you know, what are the Ten Commandments? A lot of people, maybe you, is like, well, I don't know. There's, there's ten really good commandments, but they're in the Bible somewhere. Well, where are they at in the Bible? Well, they're, they're sort of at the beginning of the Bible probably, and you'd be right with that. The Ten Commandments were laid out in Exodus 20. And the previous series that we went through with a big timeline about how God's redemptive story unfolded, we're front and center with the Ten Commandments pretty quick because God's people through Abraham. Remember Abraham, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to all people. I'm going to make your name great. We knew that. God raised up the Hebrew people. The Hebrew people ended up in Egypt because of a famine, and Joseph was already there, a descendant of Abraham, and so they started to multiply, and Egypt was you know, a great place for them for a season. And then Pharaoh and the other Egyptian leaders started to get intimidated by the, the Hebrew, Jewish, Israelite people. And so it's like, well, we, we got to you know, squash them. And so they became enslaved in Egypt, you remember? And when they were enslaved in Egypt and they were under this oppression, God showed up through Moses. And what did God say through Moses to Pharaoh? Let my people go. God wanted to free them out of slavery. And so there was this traumatic event, right? We sort of know as the crossing of the Red Sea, the parting of the waters. And God took his people, a million people, maybe up to two million Israelites, out of Egypt and moved them up towards the promised land, modern-day Israel. And it's interesting with modern news and the war that's going over in Gaza, those kinds of things, you start to become familiar more with some geography. But it was then, through Moses, that God set his people free. He got them into the promised land, right? And they had to stick there for 40, 40 years because they weren't fully obeying God. But when did the Ten Commandments come? The Ten Commandments came after. After. The Ten Commandments came after God established the relationship. And so they came to Mount Sinai, and at Mount Sinai, God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, and he came down, and he gave them instruction. And part of this, you have to understand, the Israelites, the Hebrew people at the time, they had no laws. They had no civil law. They had no governance. There was no constitution. So what he does in Exodus is he lays out a bunch of guidance rules. This is how you need to be behaving. And he begins that with the Ten Commandments. But he does not begin the Ten Commandments without reminding them that they're his people. You're my people. You need to understand this when it comes to Scripture. Relationship always precedes rules. 
Relationship always precedes rules. And so God spoke into the Israelites his word and his law so that they could continue to live as free people and grow as free people. God did not give Israel the law to establish a relationship with him. God gave Israel the law because they were already in a relationship with him. Relationship always precedes rules. It's not a condition for the relationship, but rather the rules are there as confirmation of your relationship. And what Satan wants to do in your life is he wants to flip it around. And he says, hey, you got a relationship with God? Yeah, right. Look at all the stuff you haven't done. Look at all the ways that you're bad. And he grinds into you this idea that you need to measure up for God to love you, to come into your life and lead your life. He flips it around and he scrutinizes your life and my life and he gets us to get caught up in the rules and do's and don'ts. And then you find today in contemporary cultures like Christians, I don't like Christians, they're, they're, they're just a bunch of uh, dogmatic, judgmental kind of people. They have all these rules. Well, that's really not what Jesus taught. A Christian is a Christian, someone who has Christ in their life, and we're imperfect people. And God has set us free and wants us to continue to live in that freedom, and he's trying to move us forward in our relationship with him. If you go to Exodus 20, if you go to Exodus and 20 and look into the word, it's interesting because you will find in Exodus 20 a preamble. And this is the preamble. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That's before the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments that are listed in Exodus. He's saying what? I am the Lord who? Your God! I mean, he showed up in Egypt, and during that day, I was like, well, who is this God? And they had their own gods there, and man, God showed up, Yahweh showed up, and set his people free. He picked and chose them because of his promise through Abraham. They were his people before he ever laid out. This is how you need to follow me. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Could I just internalize that in your life this morning? Especially if you're a believer in Christ and you've been beating yourself up a lot. God would say to you, I am the Lord your God, Carrie, who brought you out of the slavery. Oh, we may not refer to it as slavery like we think of slavery today, but if you're dependent on those things that continue to pull you under and you know that there's sin, if you're in a codependent relationship with someone that's probably maybe not very good for you, I, I don't know what it is. You have been in slavery before and God saw you and He wanted to redeem you and he chose you to come follow him. And before any rules, you just need to be reminded, I am the Lord, your God. Fill in your name. And I 
have brought you out of the bondage you were in. First thing he says then is, in the Ten Commandments, just real quick, you shall have no other gods before me. No one else. You shall have no other gods before me. And then he says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath it or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You know, this was, this was big time change stuff. People worshiped gods, but the gods were images and idols. And even the Israelites had a problem, right? When the Ten Commandments were given and Moses came down, they had formed together a calf out of gold, and they were worshiping an idol. Jesus says, be no idols. It was until like 1,500 years later, 2,000 years later, that culture started to move away from idol kind of worship. But worship was always associated with some type of uh, entity, some type of physical material thing. God said, no, you're not going to make any images. Don't worship any idols. And our idols today aren't necessarily golden calves and other kinds of images. They may be prosperity, wealth, pleasure, fame. What become the gods of our life? And God says, no, no one else but me first. And then he says in verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not, will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Revere the name of the Lord. If that's a challenge in your life, ask God to help clean up your language because it's directed towards Him. And we are commanded not to. Remember the Sabbath day. This is a strange one. It's number four. By keeping it holy, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And He says, that includes everybody, your sons and your daughters, your manservants, your uh, slaves, other kinds. Nobody's supposed to work. It's like, well, how are we not, if it won't work, we're going to take a whole day off? I mean, we're going to die of starvation. God says, I'm going to provide for you. This was not done in cultures at that time to take a weekend. There wasn't such a thing as a weekend, if you will. God said, you're going to take the Sabbath day and make it holy. Why did God start pouring out these rules? These four, first four of the Ten Commandments that are about our relationship with God. The second uh, set of commandments, the next six, are about your relationship one with the other. And he gave these as guidance, direction for you and I. It would be 1,500 years later that Jesus Christ was gathered with his disciples. On the day of Passover... And on the day of Passover, they were commemorating what had happened all the way back with Moses when he set, God set the people free. They had placed blood over the doorpost so that the angel of death that came, the last plague with Pharaoh that killed the firstborn of all the people in Egypt would pass over that Jewish home, that Hebrew home, because they had the blood of the lamb over their host. And Jesus sits there with his disciples, gets them to recall 1,500 years ago, and he begins to unpack the whole story. And he basically is saying to them that I am the one that you need to remember when you drink of the cup and you eat of the bread, because I would be the lamb that was slain. They didn't fully understand it all until after the resurrection, and they looked back and they went, wow, I mean, this is radical. Here's Jesus, this rabbi, and all of a sudden he's saying, I'm him, I'm it, I'm God. 
And I'm the one that will be slain and I was raised from the grave. He began to carry the story through as we looked at in this last series to that story that goes from creation and fall into eternity. And it would be Apostle Paul who then in Romans would sit down and he would reflect on what Jesus Christ had done in his life because Paul was who? He was a goody two-shoes. He did all the right things. He had such a zeal for God that he was persecuting Christians because they were part of this little Jesus way. Who are you following Jesus over there? You're going to serve the one true God. And Jesus Christ confronted Saul at the time, changed his name to Paul, and he said, why do you push back against me? And Paul's eyes were opened that it wasn't about being good enough because none of us are good enough. It was about the one who was slain that was good. And Paul writes these words in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can you imagine Paul writing that? You've got to remember, when Paul wrote this, he's looking back on his own life. Paul did not see Jesus physically other than the vision when Jesus appeared to him. But he wasn't there in the upper room. He was one of the Pharisees who was trying to do all the rules, live the right way, look impressive to other people. And Paul came to realize what a wicked sinner he was. His arrogance, his haughtiness, his belief that he was better than other people. And he writes this in contemporary times saying that God's demonstrated his own love for us, for me, in this, that while I was still sinning, while I was still sinning and doing all that, there Jesus was in Jerusalem, dying on a cross for my sin. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And that effective work, though it happened 2,000 years ago, and we commemorated at Easter, and we celebrate at Christmas, is coming into the world, right? These big events, it's all contemporary in real time because God lives outside of time. And while you were still a sinner, you need to know it this week that Jesus Christ has died for you. And the power of his death on the cross and power of his resurrection is available to you and I if we will but repent and turn to him. He says just a few verses later there in verse 10 then, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled, made right with him, that right relationship through the death of what? Good works, man. You betcha. Line them up. Let me show you. It'll wait out. My good works. That's how I get reconciled with God. No. We were reconciled to him. What? Through the death of his son. How much more than having been reconciled shall we be saved through his ongoing life as it comes to live within us. His imputed righteousness. Friends, we don't good our way into heaven. That's the summation. In one sense, that whole challenge, how good is good enough, we don't good our way into heaven. It's through Christ. But you need to know this too then. We don't bad our way out of heaven either. If you've been adopted by God and you're His child, You've fallen and stumbled. Satan wants you to think, oh, you're not in good terms with God. His finger's down on you. 
Yeah, he's grieved. He's broken when we sin. There's no question about that. He has his rules there, right? For a reason. But we don't bat our way out of heaven any more than we good our way into heaven. Jesus talked to Nicodemus. And he said to Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, you must behave again. Is that what he said? He didn't say that to Nicodemus, who wanted to know how to get into the kingdom of God. He was a very smart, astute man. He looked at Nicodemus and he didn't say, you have to behave again. He said what? You have to be born again. As surely as the baptism, death in the old life, born to a new life. You're raised to a new life and that is the hope that you and I have when it comes to this question. Heaven, who goes there? And all that God's been doing, God was not attempting to make bad people good. He was not attempting to make bad people good. God, when He laid out rules and gave us His commands, He was keeping free people, His free people, free. That's what He's been doing. The rules aren't there to condemn you. The rules are there to open you up to your need that you need God. We have been reconciled to God not by good works or by behaving again. We have been reconciled to God by grace. We choose to follow and obey out of gratitude. So here we are, the week of Thanksgiving. What are you thankful for? We'll probably go around our table. What are you thankful for? And I want you to know, as your pastor and your friend, that all of us, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I'm thankful for God's grace. And I love and obey Him as an act of my gratitude. Not in word only, but with my life. Jesus' last beautiful discourse. He says to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What he was saying by that had nothing to do with getting into heaven. It had everything to do with remaining free and in a joy-filled relationship with him. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The rules, they're there. But they're for your freedom and your protection. Just as surely as you give rules to your children. Little Johnny, don't, don't run out there in front of the street. Why? Because you're wanting to kill my joy? No, because you can get hit. You put a fence in your backyard so your dog doesn't get hit. We have boundaries. But the boundaries aren't there for our salvation because no boundary is good enough to save us. God gives us His commands for us to follow out of gratitude because we love Him. That's why the Apostle Paul, with a big change in his life, he just came down big time on people that got legalistic, people that turned the faith into a bunch of rules and religion. 
Oh, okay, even now if you're a Jesus follower, here's everything you got to do because if you don't do this, you're not in good standing. He got sick of that. He was so upset with people that were a bunch of law-giving judgment kind of people. And all of us who are believers today, we can end up falling in the same way to those who are around us. The rules are not for them who do not follow Jesus. You point them to the grace of Jesus. And the freedom He gives leads us to His commandments so that we abide in the freedom and we don't become bound again by slavery. The rules, they're there. But the rules are there for your freedom. And so that's why Paul said in Galatians 5.1 to those Judaizers, the, the people who are the religion rule people, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Will you pray with me? Lord, here this morning, as we've celebrated baptisms and we've been able to look into Your Word and, and see Your love for us, that You demonstrated Your love in that while we were still sinners, You died for us. We want to shout, Hallelujah! 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 Worthy is the Lamb that was slain on our behalf, taking our sins to the cross, coming into our life as we've chosen to follow, and setting us free from every kind of bondage and slavery. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, I pray over all of us today that are followers of you, that we would rejoice that your imputed righteousness is a part of our life and we are in good standing with you. May we not grieve you by falling into sin. May we not resist your good and perfect will for us, thinking that it's not good and perfect, and that we know better. But Lord, may we love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as ourselves. And Lord, may we find ourselves basking in the beauty of our salvation every day, especially this week of thanksgiving. And may we give you gratitude with a life of obedience, not to earn our relationship with you, but to display the goodness of you and your love. And Lord, here this morning, if there's someone who's never crossed that line of faith and publicly declared or privately made the decision to follow you, then I pray that you would speak to them even this morning and encourage them to yield their life, to repent of their sins and turn to you and ask you to come dwell within them. May that be a simple prayer, but the powerful prayer that changes their life. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come receive the Lord's tithes and offerings, but with your Connect cards, whether it's an interest in baptism or you have spiritual questions and you want to grow spiritually or whether you're making a commitment to follow Jesus Christ, make note of that on the back of the card and we would love to be able to um, follow up with you. And for some of you this morning, maybe you come in and there's a need for um, prayer to happen in your life. And there's a place to pray over here. 
move the screen and behind that area, and someone would be more than glad to pray with you. Maybe there's a particular need or a burden that you're carrying in your life today. We want to pray with you. We want to be there for you to be of a support and encouragement. There's some things going on, I know, in this very room, and many I don't know at all, where you need to be journeying with someone who can not only pray with you, but carry your burden with you in the weeks that are ahead. Praying for God to bring change and transformation in that situation. So make your way to the prayer area if you have interest afterwards. And then I just want to personally encourage you uh, to come tonight. Uh, football games are football games. They're, they come and go, right? It's not even the playoffs yet, right? Come and enjoy the community of friends who are seekers of God. And uh, if you're new, I, Pastor Zach didn't really say it this way, but I'll put it behind. If you're new, you don't need to bring anything tonight. Just come and enjoy the buffet. And those of you who are regulars, you bring the buffet. And you bring it. Okay? And uh, we are starting at 5.30, and there's really no program other to mix and mingle. You will have to put a name tag on because you can't eat at this church without name tags. It's like a fork, okay? And I want to encourage you to come, get to know some people that you've not maybe met, but also just enjoy fellowship and community with those who you already know. Will you stand with me? Let me give you a blessing on this Thanksgiving week. And now may the God who demonstrated his love towards you and why you are yet a sinner, may his love fill your heart this week with fullness of joy. And may you carry forth a heart of gratitude every hour as you live in relationship with the one who set you free. God bless. We'll see you tonight at 530.